0: Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name's Pastor Grant, or my name's Grant. I'm a pastor. Just want to say it's a real privilege to be able to join you on this uh, Sunday morning. Um, if you don't know that um, we, as churches, Living Hope CRC, Mission Hills Community Church, Vancouver CRC, uh, we're joining together on this Lent series and are looking at the parables of Jesus that he shared when he went up to Jerusalem for the last time. So we're calling the series "Stories Along the Way." You may know that we're doing this. You may not. Now I don't know about you, but I get Lent and Advent. Uh, mixed up quite a bit. I don't know, it's maybe because they rhyme and I'm pretty simple-minded, but we are in a time of Lent. Now, Advent, you may know, is a time when we prepare and long for the second coming of Christ, and we refocus our eyes and prepare ourselves for the second coming of Christ, because he promised that. Lent is a time when we prepare ourselves once again and use this time as a time when we refocus ourselves on Christ, prepare ourselves to, um, again, reflect on the incredible gift and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, we're looking at this parable today, and I think this parable kind of uh, checks both of the Advent and Lent boxes um, quite well, because this is a story where we both find ourselves longing for the return of Christ, but we also are challenged by Christ himself to really examine where we're looking, and where, what we're invested in. Are we invested in the kingdom, or do we, we find ourselves more invested in the world? And that's, that's a constant challenge for us. Now, I might just say, uh, when it comes to the longing side of things, I don't think in North America we've had a time, at least in this generation, or in the past several decades, where we have been probably more in a period of longing. Uh, someone told me recently that this winter, Uh, is 33% darker than last winter and uh, that we are now, you probably know this, we're going into the second year of this weird COVID reality where all of the normalcy of life is gone and we still have to think twice about absolutely everything we do and everywhere we go and every decision we make just drives you nuts, right? Now, one of the things that I find myself longing for uh, especially this past couple weeks is summer and I don't know if you uh, I don't know if you can um, agree with me on that but I find myself longing for summer and just for for the time and maybe this is a pipe dream for this summer but just the time uh, you know you just go outside and hang out with friends I, I long for bike rides where I don't have to dress up like the Michelin man because it's so cold and sleeping on my back deck in August and Um, you know just going on camping trips and enjoying the weather but I think for me the most that I long for in the summer and maybe I can ask you that question what do you long for most is barbecues right usually it's eating for me but just imagine that that time when you don't have to think about who you're going to call to come over have a barbecue you can call your friends call your family you just You just come over and linger around the grill and your kids can run through the sprinkler and jump on the trampoline. You can jam the barbecue up with, you know, steaks and burgers and seasoned veggies and you can just linger in the hot sun and the long day. Wouldn't that be just awesome right now? Well, this parable of the banquet, I think, gives us... uh, That helps us understand this parable a little bit because in Jesus' times... Um, banquets were times where you relished friendship and you relished good eating and you kind of lingered. But in this parable especially, we find ourselves, Jesus points our attention to something that's going to happen for us in the future, which is the banquet uh, of, of, of his return. So we have the longing in this parable, but we also have the challenge of, hey, where are we looking? Where are we fixing our gaze Are we being obedient to the call as servants? And uh, so that's what we're going to be challenged with today. And let's go to God's Word and read. So we're going to find our passage in Luke 15. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And uh, so it's Luke Luke 14, starting at verse 15 to 24. Well, when one of those at the table with him heard this, now Jesus was a guest at a prominent Pharisee's house for a banquet. Okay, and so... You can read before this um, what's, what kind of what's going on. And, of course, what they would do at these banquets is they'd, they'd kind of chew on an idea or, or biblical text or theology or something. And so that's what they're doing here. And so when one of those at the table with him heard Jesus, he said to Jesus, "'Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God.' Well, Jesus replied, "'A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests.'" At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field. Uh, I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, Well, I've just bought five oxen. Five Sorry, five yoke of oxen. That's ten oxen, five times two. Uh, And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out to the roads and the country country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is, well, we're going to ask the question, what's the big deal with the banquet? What does the banquet signify here? Now, I don't know about you, I don't have much experience with banquets. I think I've been to four banquets my whole life. Uh, there are Christmas banquets. They took place at my high school and we got to take girls and that was cool. So I did and actually ended up marrying one of the girls uh, that I took out to the Christmas banquet. So I, I'm kind of a big fan of banquets. I can't really speak for my wife. But all that being said, Banquets are not something that I'm really familiar with, and that might be the case for you too. But banquets were a pretty big deal in Jesus' time. Now, ironically enough, actually probably not too ironically enough, Jesus shares a parable about a banquet at a banquet. Jesus did this all the time when he uh, was ministering in that time. He used it a contemporary setting, a current setting, or an experience, and he'd share a story about it because we all know stories stick. And so Jesus would tell these stories all the time. But why was there so much focus on the banquet? Well, because that is what the Jews were expecting to happen when the Messiah came back. Now, in Jesus' time, you may or may not know this, the history was pretty dark. Uh, The Jews were being um, tyrannized by the Romans. The Romans had oppressed them. Israel was a client state, one of many different uh, kind of people groups that the Romans were oppressing. And the 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 more the the more the, that the Romans tightened the screws on the Jews and the more they oppressed the Jews, the more the, the Jewish people opened the scriptures that taught about the Messiah. So it, according to many scholars, one of the most common things you would hear on a Saturday morning or a Sabbath day at church or at a synagogue was the Messiah. They'd go to the, the prophetic text and they would t- did talk about and preach about the Messiah all the time. Well, when the Messiah came back and he, you know, kind of kicked some butt and he took care of the Romans and all the people that were oppressing the Jews, well, what was going to happen? Well, a banquet, right? In those times, whenever a king had a victory, he had a banquet. Banquets were to um, victories to a king what... uh, parades are to sports teams who win a championship. Now, of course, we probably in this part of the world have no experience of this because no one ever wins in Vancouver. But that's kind of what it was like. If a king had a victory over a different land or a different people, he came back from war and he had a banquet. And so this is the common understanding of the time. And this is what they were talking about at this banquet. Now, more specifically, the prophet Isaiah even says this, and maybe this is the kind of the, the proof text of that kind of hang that hung the hopes on a messianic banquet when when the the Messiah came and you know he had the victory. And it says this in Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meat, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So that's Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. Now, this was a flagship text, right? This was the leading text that, that told the people that, hey, when actually the Messiah comes, and we know that's Jesus Christ, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have a banquet. It's the banquet of the conquering Messiah. Um, it is at that point, and it says this in, in, uh, in reference to the shrouds. Shrouds were basically ancient body bags. There'll be no more grave clothes, body bags. Death is gone. Um, the death sheets that cover up the nations is gone, the disgrace is gone, the tears is gone, and that's what this banquet is all about, the return of the Messiah, and in our case, Jesus Christ. The banquet marks the beginning of the reign of Christ, when all of evil is cast out. It marks the end of death, it marks the end of politics. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! It marks the end of all family divides, and tension, and sickness, and injustice, and poverty. It marks the time when the, enemies, the enemy and enemies of our soul will be cast out of existence forever. Now, does that not give us something to long for, right? Now, again, I can't really connect with the banquet idea too much. But the more I studied this passage, the more I tried to connect it with my world, I couldn't help... Um, but find myself dreaming more about these juicy July barbecues, especially the ones after COVID. And the whole thing got me thinking about a book I read some time ago by Mark Buchanan called Spiritual Seasons. Fantastic writer. And in this book, he kind of talks about the seasons of faith, and he kind of finds himself ruminating on summer. And he says this, In summer, throughout my neighborhood, starting early afternoons, men in shorts and straw hats fire up barbecues and grill savory things, herb-tossed vegetables, marinated beef, sauce-basted chicken, prawns fresh from local waters, so that the aroma weakens me in my body and soul. And I understand how Esau gave up his birthright. Buchanan continues, I never get tired of summer. I want it here forever. I do, though, try to stay up late, if for no other reason than to watch falling stars race down the sky like sparklers and to clap my hands at God so playful. In this sort of thing that Jesus won for us, this is what awaits us. An endless summer. An endless summer of basking in God's glory. An endless summer of never having to stick handle through the weariness and the woe and the misery of life. That's what this banquet signifies. Isn't that something to long for? Now, secondly, here's here's another question I think that's important for this text. Who's going to the banquet? Who's going? Who's going to be there? Now, this is the main question of the parable, right? Who's going to be at the banquet? Now, of course, we know that every good story, if it's worth its salt, has a great twist in it, right? And so does this one. Now, again, it's important to remember that Jesus is at a banquet when the topic of banquets come up. In those days, banquets were exclusively for more of the elite people. They could afford it, right? And, and in those times, it was a, a sign of prominence to talk about very important things. So we got around in banquets, and we reclined on sofas, and we asked each other questions because it made us feel smart and good, right? That's kind of, sorry, that's kind of the idea here. That's what banquets were like. And according to a scholar named S.S. Barchi, there was a whole rhyme and reason to banquets. You mingled, you ate, and then after dinner, the wine started flowing a little bit, and the guests reclined on couches, and the conversation centered around this distinguished guest, which would have been Jesus, we can assume. So the whole parable kicks off when one distinguished Pharisee says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. In other words, this was a rather religious way of patting themselves on the back because the Israelite people are the elect. They're going to go there. I mean, they study this stuff, they know what God's up to, they know what the Messiah is all about. They're the ones who truly care, they're the ones who had their theological ducks in a row. Well, then comes the twist. (laughs) Remember, the Messiah was coming for the Jews. That was the expectation, the Jews alone. They were the only ones invited to the party. That's the common understanding of the day. So the servant goes out, and of course, this is who he invites, right? Well, a whole bunch of people that the, uh, the, the servant invites, well, they're tied up. They're tied up in real estate. Right? A guy buys a field. He's busy. He wants to go check out his field. Well, the next guy, he's, he just bought some tractors. right? Because that's what oxen were in that day. They were tractors, machinery. Right? He, 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 he just wants to go see and try out his tractor. And the third person, well, he's in love. He is in, he's intoxicated. He's, in, he's got to take care of his wife. Uh, maybe next time. Well, that maybe would have gotten a few of the um, hoity-toity Pharisees there getting to loosen their collars. Well, then, then the master, the servant comes back, the master sends the servant out, and things would have got a little more tense around this banquet table that Jesus w- was at, because then the master of the banquet tells the servant to go and ask those at the bottom of the society to come, to the poor. To the crippled, to the blind and the lame. Now, what do you know about the blind, lame, poor, and crippled? Well, they were there for a reason. They were cursed. They did something or their parents did something that, that was very sinful. So that was their punishment, right? So, ooh, okay. Now, this really probably would have gotten the wine flowing at this banquet. Huh? They're, but, they're, but they're sinners, They're invited too? Now, this is probably where a lot of the Pharisees were kind of thinking this whole banquet was going a little haywire. But then the wine probably would have really started flowing when Jesus says this. Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house might be full. Now, what do we know about roads in the first century? Well, the Romans were the best road makers that have Probably ever um, existed. They were known for their roads. Now, this is a key. What? Go to the roads. What? You're inviting Gentiles? This is what they're thinking, right? So, who's invited to the banquet? Everyone is invited to the banquet. That's what Jesus is saying here. Everyone is invited. How scandalous is this? How earth-shaking this is? The richest of the rich, they get an invitation. So do the poorest of the poor. The most faithful of the faithful get an invitation. The most wayward of the wayward get an invitation. The young get an invitation, and so do the old. The religious get an invitation, and so do the irreligious the smart and the not-so-smart, the liberals and the conservatives, the educated and the uneducated, the vegans and the carnivores, the Canucks fans and the flame fans. Okay, well, let's not push it. The invitations go out to all, no matter the creed or background or history. For Christ is putting humanity together. Now, we know that from the New Testament. In these people's minds, what? What? the Messiah is for us. Who really comes to the banquet? It's not everyone, but it's those who respond to the invitation. Right? They respond to the invitation. So Jesus says in 24 here, any of those people who I invited who aren't coming, they're not coming to the banquet. This, of course, then gets us to the last question. So how, then, are we supposed to respond to this parable and to the story? So how does this parable break down as far as people are concerned in the parable? Well, there's the master. Now, who's the master? Well, that's God, of course. Then there's the servant. Now, who's the servant? Well, the servant initially is Jesus, right? Jesus is the servant who goes out and... Who, who gives the invitation to come to his father. Of course, he dies. He rises again, and he gives his spirit to who? Well, his body, right? We now are his body. So now we're the servants if we follow Christ. Now we're the inviters. But then there are those who are being invited. So the first response here is that we can have is respond to the invitation. Right? That's the first response. Say yes to the invitation. Have you said yes to the invitation? This isn't something, we don't get into the kingdom of God by association. I heard, I asked one, uh, a friend of mine, or I forget who it was, it was quite a long time ago, about, you know, did he believe, and what did he he think about Christ? He said, you (laughs) know, I'm not worried about it. My grandpa was a pastor. I said, oh, Cool doesn't work like that, right? Hey, You know what? My wife goes to church. She's a pretty good prayer person. I, I think I'm going to be okay. It doesn't work like that. Jesus sends out his invitation, and we say yes or no. We're coming or we're not. And the reality is a lot of people say no. Jesus' ministry, you see it all the time. He just walks away. He tells a story. To the rich young ruler, he's one example. Huh? Got to sell all you have. You know, he says that to the rich young ruler. He doesn't clamor him to come back. No, he just kind of walks away. No, that's sad, but the reality is it's a yes or a no, right? So have you responded to the invitation? Secondly, what is our response? Well, as you see here, with these excuses, we as human beings have sometimes problems with putting our eyes and hearts in things that aren't kingdom oriented right so that's the challenge here for we who follow Christ so we have a guy who's in real estate and that's where his heart's at i just want to go see it you know this this guy he 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 has uh, five yoke of oxen right the, this is this is machinery it's an excavator it's a it's a new truck it's a new car it's a new house or whatever it's something that his heart is in I just want I just my heart's there right now right and then and then there's oh well, I'm, I'm in love I, I'm in love now what is this challenge? this is the Lent challenge right where are our hearts Remember what David says, and he struggled with it too. He had fame and fortune. David says this in Psalm 119.37. You know, turn my heart away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. This is the challenge here, right? It's to be so careful about where we put our hearts. That's one of the great challenges of Lent, to kind of retune our hearts with that. And lastly, how is, what is our response here? The response here is, invite everybody. That's what the servant here does. He, he invites everyone. The master says, go invite everyone. So the, the servant goes out and he literally invites everyone. Right? That's the call as servants of the king. There's a banquet and we want our friends there. There's a banquet and we want our family there. So the call is go invite everyone. It's pretty intimidating, though, isn't it? Right, especially in a in a world that doesn't look too favorably upon people who follow Christ or Christianity. A couple years ago, I think it's been a couple years ago, Ann, Zaki, and Naji Umran, their uh, Egyptian, uh, sorry, their uh, missionaries in Egypt. They came to our church, and I think they came to Living Hope as well. I think you guys sponsor them, and we do, and a few churches in the valley here do. And uh, they they shared something very interesting. They said that uh, in Egypt, they're not allowed to share their faith openly. But they are allowed if someone asks them a question. And so they said, we try to live in a way that prompts the question. Isn't that cool? I think it makes things so much simpler. You know, we've all heard these terrible stories of people who were brash or annoying or bombastic or um, just annoying, kind of sharing the gospel, and you're like, oh, I do not want to be associated with people like that. And so then we just don't. We just don't invite people. We don't try to, to live in such a way or even know how to respond when someone says, hey, why do you, why do you go to church? And yet, that is the call, right? But, but, but verse 23 when it says, try to live a compelling life, right? Try to, to, to by, of course, by Christ's spirit in us, try to live a life that suggests to other people, you know, there's something different about that person. Sometimes a challenge for us as Christians, too, is that uh, we just hang out in the servants' quarters too much, right? You know, we just, we just want to hang out with each other, right? And so we, we do. And, and whereas the servants are supposed to go and have intersectionality with those who haven't yet been invited to the banquet, right? And so often I think as Christian Reformed people, we struggle with that, right? Because... Um, so much of our activities are Christian centered right our kids go to Christian school and Christian sports but maybe the challenge here is for us is to be so much more intentional sorry intentional about living with or living in the lives of other people who don't know yet don't know Christ yet this is pretty funny uh, at the beginning of this of this uh, see this year uh, i'm I, i'm a hockey coach in mission and i it just kind of showed me that usually the only the only groups i hang out with people uh are people where the group either starts with a prayer or ends with a prayer so we had this parent meeting and uh, it's like oh brother uh so we had this parent meeting and we talked about some issues and right before it was done i bowed my head and i'm like whoa stop this will not go well but that, it's because I'm so used to being with people um, and, and doing stuff with people who know Christ. And I think the challenge is, is to say, hey, why don't you join a club that doesn't always have to start and end with a prayer? When you do something with people who have no idea who God is, go out to the country lanes, go out to the roads, hang out with the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And don't worry, you can go back to the servant's quarters and you can get kind of, uh, you can kind of get revitalized. But live lives in such a way. This is the calling of this text. Post-Easter, for sure, is to make sure that you are doing life with people that don't know me. So as we close this morning, may we be challenged, first of all, to think and yearn and think about that time when Christ is going to uh, kick off the most incredible barbecue or banquet or whatever you want to call it, because he is coming back. He does have the victory. May we be challenged in this time of Lent to think about our focus. You know, where are we putting our hearts? Are we putting them in Christ's hands? Are we investing in the kingdom? And lastly, to be challenged to say, you know what, God, I don't really know how to do this but to put ourselves out there with the Spirit to, and to get out into that world and say, you know what, God, um, help me to respond to these, these people that you put in my mind. Uh, help me to, to get out into this world and do life with people who aren't coming to the banquet yet. And Lord, just work and use me in whatever way you can. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a great story. Uh, once again, when we, we, when we peel away the onion, we see this incredible heart that you have for all people. But also the reality, Lord, that some people aren't, they're just not going to say yes. And help us, Lord, to just trust you with that and in your timing and your justice. Lord, thank you also for challenging us as well to say, hey, like, where is your heart? Um, Help us to say like David, Lord, turn my eyes away from worthless things and um, preserve my life according to your word. Help us in this time to focus on you. And Lord, also, Lord, help us to live lives and, and be remember our calling, Lord. Not just to hang out in servants' quarters, but to be in the world in such a way that someone might say, hey, what do you believe? And Lord, we know that you ha- we have your Holy Spirit and that you will You will, even if we fumble around, Lord, that you can use us and work in us. Uh, We thank you so much for this word this morning and that we as churches can participate in this together. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.